This morning we are continuing our series, Hearing God, and this morning we're looking at the Bible and how the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us. As I was getting ready and I was preparing for this morning's message, uh, I was reminded of, uh, I don't know how, many, how the most recent time I shared this, but when I went to Bible school, one of the things that I heard over my time and I was trying to pick my degree is that fewer and fewer pastors actually knew their Bible anymore, that they were actually, there's a, this movement within the church that we're actually going to move away from the Bible because it was irrelevant, and so we didn't study it, we preached about everything else, preached about the things of this world, and we weren't actually using God's word, which for some would say that probably makes you stop being a church at some point, right? Um, but this really bothered me, this stirred me, and so Instead of taking a pastoral degree like I probably should have done, so I actually know what I'm doing when I get to this situation. I still don't know what I'm doing. Newsflash. <laughs> I'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> or I won't. Whatever. Um, I took a biblical studies degree. And as part of my biblical studies degree, uh, it's a four-year degree, intense, designed to further education. But as part of it, I had to take two years of a language study. So I either had to take Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, or take Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament. Well, at least most of the Old Testament. There's a few other languages thrown in there. Um, and so I went to some of my older Bible school students, and I said, hey, I have to make this choice because I'm going into my second year. What do you guys recommend? And the guy that was in Greek said, don't do Greek. Oh, why is that? In the English language, we have three tenses for our verbs, right? So let me use preach as an example. For future tense, it says that I am going to preach. For present tense, it says I am preaching. And for past, it says I have preached my message. Three tenses. Greek has seven. I'm out. No. If I have to do more than past, present, or future, I have no interest in that at all. So I asked the Hebrew guys, I said, okay, so what do you guys got? They have two, past and present. Oh, good, less than English. I'm in. Sign me up. And then I found out that it was 8 o'clock in the morning every single morning of every day. But, you know, that's okay. I survived. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I, in fact, I enjoyed it so much, and I did so well, that my prof actually encouraged me to continue with my studies and learn more languages, which I was like, ha-ha, okay. And then I had some mentors slap me around and say, no, graduate, go get some ministry experience. And so I came here, and I've thought of going back this many times. I have no interest in going back to school. I've got enough else on my plate. But learning that language was really interesting. It gave me new perspective on what is happening when we read God's Word. Which brings me to my first question. Do you speak any other languages? Does anyone here speak or has studied any other language and how does it compare to English? Because that is, an, that is an important thing to understand. If English is your primary, um, how do those two languages compare? Everyone online, throw it in the comment section. If you speak any other languages or studied any other languages, throw it out there. I'd love to know if we have any experts in the house. You know, if I find out we got like some expert French speakers, then... Maybe we do a mission trip to Quebec. I don't know. We'll, you know, switch it up a little bit. Spread the wealth. Um, but whether you've done any language studies or not, one of the interesting things about 
translation, in particular, the version of the Bible that we have. Now, whether you have the ESV, the NIV, the CSB, the MESS, like there, I could list them all for the rest of the morning and never actually get anywhere. There's so many English translations, and the question is, why? Why is there so many different translations? But when you start to study language and the transition from original language to English or French or any other language, start to realize that there are words that just don't quite communicate really well. And this morning, we're going to look at a couple of Greek words that they have vastly different meanings, but when translators get to it in the New Testament, they have a really tough time figuring out how to translate these words in such a way that you can capture the difference. Because even though they're vastly different, for us as English speakers, because our language is not as advanced as Greek, we don't have that many words. It's kind of like when we talk about love, right? I think the French have, like, what, 40 different words for love, and we have one. Um, it's the same for Greek. Greek has so many, such a vastly larger vocabulary than us. And like I said, it's got like seven tenses. It's got all kinds of, it's got all kinds of things going on that we so often come to our English translation and we sometimes miss what's really going on. So this morning, you're going to learn a little bit of Greek. You're welcome for those of you that wanted to do that. For the rest of you, it's good for you. Yeah, a little bit of language study doesn't hurt anybody. So the two words we're going to look at this morning are logos and rhema. Logos and rhema. And these two words are translated in your English, English Bible as word. Both of them. But as you're going to see, they do not necessarily mean word in the same sense. So logos is what God has said or has to say to us. So a better way of understanding Logos is it's the general revelation of God's word. His, the Bible would be considered the Logos of God. It is the same for all of us. All of us can open it up. We can read it. We can understand it the same. Um, the only exception to that is there's three times in the New Testament that Logos actually refers to Jesus becoming the word becoming personified. John in Hebrews talks about how the word became flesh, and the flesh being Jesus Christ, the word personified, coming alive, and walking among man. <clears throat> but generally, Logos is this general revelation for everybody. As opposed to Rhema, Rhema is a specific message for a specific person at a specific time. So it's very personal. It's very, very much in the moment, just for you. Doesn't necessarily apply to anybody else. Whoop. And we've seen these, we've had, most people who have been reading the Bible for any amount of time have had these rhema experiences. There'd be, you'll be sitting in your couch or your chair or wherever it is that you do your devotions, and you're reading through the scripture, and it just hits you differently on a particular day. And you sit there and you're like, I have read this 400 times in my life. I've read this 10 times in my life. But today, it just seems to be significant to me, and I don't understand why. Well, we would say that that is a rhema experience, the Holy Spirit taking the Bible and making it particularly applicable and special to you and only you 
in that moment at that time. And the thing that I can't get over is when I go, when I do reading plans, reading plans are like the ultimate guilt trip for me because I always fall behind. I miss a few days, I'm like, oh, I'm so far behind. And then I pick it up and I read the day I was supposed to read three days ago and I do the reading and it can only be explained as God's perfect timing. The reading that I did on that day is exactly what I needed for the day that I'm reading it. And I'm like, how do you do that, God? Because he's God, and that's how the Holy Spirit works. He just is awesome like that. But, so, Logos, Rhema, that is the big difference between the two. And the big, this is one of the examples from Scripture that I come back to lots when it comes to this idea that God has specific revelation, that we need a fresh word from God. We go to Matthew 4. It's the story of Jesus. He's being tempted by the devil. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. This is rhema. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not just the general, but a fresh word that God gives to you today and every day when we make time to hear his voice. Man does not live on bread alone, but by the rhema the special revelation, the specific revelation given to you, just you, at a particular time. Now, if we're reading through our scripture, and every time we see word, we have to figure out, is it a Logos word, or is it a Rhema word? And my intention is not to cause confusion, and for you to question every time you see the word, word, in your scripture. Um... Generally speaking, he's talking Logos, but there's some times where you have to really read the context and be like, okay, I think actually this is talking about a specific message just for me. So we're going to go through like six key times that Rhema is used instead of Logos. And the reason I want us to go through this is because if we... When we understand that God still speaks to us today, right? That's the whole point of the hearing God. Last week we looked at the 15 reasons we don't hear God's voice today. And today we're going to look at six reasons why we need to understand God speaking to us is so important. It's because so much of faith is dependent on the fact that God is not a God who set things in motion, gave us the manual and said, good luck. Which sometimes I feel like with our vehicles. Right? We get in the vehicle, here's the manual, good luck. But God didn't do that. God didn't give us a manual and say, well, I hope it all works out for you. But God is intentional. He is speaking to us. He speaks to us audibly. He speaks to us through dreams and visions. And as we're going to see today, he speaks to us through his word at specific times when we need it the most. So, when we understand that God speaks to us personally, It helps us understand six key areas of life and faith. Number one, it is the key to understanding saving faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, interesting thing about Greek, the word the does not appear in Greek. There is no, what is called the definitive article. So instead of the, it should actually say hearing through a word of Christ. And the word word here is 
Somebody guess. Make my day. Everyone's being really quiet. Yeah, Rama. Thank you. So what Paul isn't saying is that it, faith comes by hearing and hearing just by reading this Bible, but faith comes by hearing and hearing a personal, specific message of Christ. And when I read this, so this is stuff that I talk about, I'm doing some mentoring right now, and this is stuff that we talk about in my mentoring, and when they said this, it's just like every light bulb that had never gone off suddenly went off in my brain. Because I think of my salvation experience, I think of so many people who have, I've talked to who they're just sitting in church, or they're sitting at camp, or they're sitting at a youth service, or whatever, and they're hearing a story that they've heard a hundred times, and then all of a sudden, just that one time, it's like that story just spoke to them in a way that they'd never seen it spoke to them before. And it doesn't speak to everyone, it just speaks to that one person. Even for me, I had heard the scriptures so many times growing up in the church that I grew up in, and that one day, sitting in Bible study, the, pa- the youth pastor's going over something that I'd heard a hundred times, and the, but this one time, it just went straight to the heart as if God was speaking directly to me, and it changed everything for me. That's rhema. That is the Holy Spirit taking what everyone else is seeing and making it special and specific for you in that moment. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that is exactly how saving faith works. Because it doesn't, in all honesty, I can preach the best message I've ever preached, and nobody responds. But the Holy Spirit comes in, and it changes everything. Because salvation is not my job. My job is to equip you. Salvation is actually the work of Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to each individual person, and we just have to be faithful to obey and to communicate the things that God is laying on our heart. But when we get that God still speaks to us personally, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it makes sense how we get saved. All of a sudden salvation makes sense because it's that moment when God speaks to us. Number two, it is the key to understanding faith to obey. And the best way for me to understand this one, or unpack this one for you, is to go to Hebrews 11. The, the champions of faith, as, or the hall of faith, or whatever you call it. Noah was warned. That warned is a specific message from God for Noah alone. He's speaking to Noah and warning him that a flood is going to come, and he's got to respond Abraham was called. We read the story of Abraham. They're in a nation that is not Israel at the time, and all of a sudden, God calls him. That is not a general thing. God speaking directly to Abraham, and it's time to go to the land that I have promised you and your kids. Sarah was promised. Again, you don't just get a promise from reading a book generally. It is a speaking, specific God coming into the situation and speaking to the person. Now I want you to keep the story of Sarah in mind. We're going to come back to it. Um, but it's when we understand that God still speaks to us. It gives us the faith and the confidence to obey the things that he's calling us to do. Because we know that he goes before us. God wouldn't call us to do something. And again, doesn't call us to talk to our neighbor or to take a leap of faith and be like, hey, good luck. If God calls us to do something, it means he's gone before us and he's going to walk with us. 
through it all, and that personal tap on the shoulder, it's time to go, gives us the confidence to, and the faith to obey. Number three, the key to claiming God's promises to us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now this is what would be considered a general promise. There's over 700 promises in Scripture, and some of them apply to everybody, right? This is for you, this is for, <coughs> um, for everyone in the church, this is for everyone at every other church, this is every person who ever believes there's promises that every single one of us can grab onto, claim it, and just be like, this is God's promise to me. But not every single promise works that way. And we come back to the story of Sarah. We read through Genesis. Sarah is 90 years old. And God comes to her and promises her that she will have a son. Now that, we know that, because scripture tells us about this story, but that promise is not for every single woman uh, for, through all time, right? Not every 90-year-old lady can stand on that promise and say, I'm going to have a son. I don't know too many 90-year-old ladies that are standing up to get that promise, but there are certain stories where a promise is made and that promise is just for that person and the same goes for us when we read through scripture and it's not even worded as a promise but all of a sudden we're reading and we're going through something and god speaks to us and we get that word and it just feels like god has promised us this in that moment that's just for you it's not for anybody else it's just like oh i'm gonna hold on to this promise i'm gonna hold on to this word because you have given it specifically for me god so just as <laughs> the Sarah story is the best one, right? It is not a promise for all ladies for all time. God makes promises to you that are not for everybody for all time. It is just for you in that moment. And that is good news that God still makes us promises. That God still speaks to us and loves us enough to say, this is going to happen because I am God and I have said it's going to happen. Oh, thanks God. Number four, this is key to understanding answered prayer. Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, if you take this and you read words as logos, then we begin to think that as long as I am in the word and I've got a bunch of it memorized and I'm just always thinking about it and all as long as I have this, I'm good. You promised me to answer every single one of my prayers, but that's not actually how that is to be read because this is not a Logos word. This is Rhema. And so what Jesus is actually saying is that if you abide in me, if you and I maintain this healthy relationship and you make me the priority and you seek me out and you allow me to speak into you and you have these rhema experiences, I am going to answer your prayers in those moments. And this is so 
important because I watched so many people walk away from church saying that I prayed, I prayed to God, and he didn't answer my prayer, so I'm done with church. Well, what? Did you actually stop and let God speak to you? Did you actually wait for an answer? Did you actually have that specific moment where God spoke into that situation and gave you that personal? And 99% of the time, it's no. Because we so often approach God like a broken vending machine. I go to God, I put in my prayer coin, I pull the trigger, and I'm supposed to get my answer. And if I don't get my answer, well, something's wrong. No, that's not how God works. God is a father who loves you as a son and a daughter and wants to have a relationship with you. And you can come to him and he speaks to you. And sometimes he answers your prayers miraculously. And sometimes he gives you answers. And sometimes he says no. But it's all answers. It's all specific, and it's all just for you. God still gives us personal answers. He still gives us personal words and messages. And like we said last week, it's just a matter of are we listening? And are we in God's word enough for him to make it come alive and be special for us? Number five, it's the key to receiving guidance from God. And this kind of comes back to something we said last week. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Last week we said that God, the reason we don't hear God is because we don't believe God speaks to us. You can't hear from somebody if you don't believe they're saying anything to you. And the same comes if you don't believe that God gives you rhema, personal words for your particular time at a particular season, then you're not going to get the guidance that sometimes we're looking for. God, I don't know what to do next. You really need to help me here. But I don't believe you're going to talk to me, so I feel better because I talked to you. It's not just about the general word that God has given us through his Bible. It's about that relationship. It's about hearing from him because God wants to guide you. He wants to guide your every step to step into the opportunities that he has set aside for you. Back to that Jeremiah 29, 11, I have good plans for you. God, I want to know what those plans are. Help me have a listening ear. Help me to quiet myself so I can have those rhema moments where you speak to me and you guide me in a way that only you can. Number six, it's the key to meditation. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success book of the law shall not depart you shall meditate on it day and night and we all know that it is important for us to know the entirety of god's word because we have an enemy who loves to throw lies and tempt us and it is the general word of god understanding memorizing being in this that helps us from being deceived but when we meditate on it and what 
God is saying to Joshua is when you take the time and you sit and you really chew on what you've read, when you really unpack it for yourself, the Holy Spirit comes into that moment and he shows you the the word comes alive. It literally comes alive in your mind and your heart. And all of a sudden, it just becomes abundantly apparent that this is how this particular word applies to my day right now. Because this book, even though it's a physical book with ink and paper, and it looks like just any ordinary book, this is not just an ordinary book. It's a spiritual book filled with spiritual things, and if we want to really understand what's going on, we need the Holy Spirit's help to really get into it. And when we meditate, we invite the Holy Spirit into those times to really unpack it, to really make it come alive so that we can walk in its teachings and its goodness. And all of a sudden, it's like, I just can't wait to meditate on the next scripture. And I've said this before, one of my beefs about reading plans I love a good reading plan, and I acknowledge that it is a really good tool to help us read through the entirety of Scripture. And it really is. It's a good way for us to get the Logos general knowledge out of here. But if you're only reading to get the check mark on the Bible app, read, read, read as fast as I can because I don't have much time, and I'm going to get it done, and I get the check mark, okay, I'm done. And you walk away, and you forget everything you read. It's kind of like, what was the point of that? You really want to get the most out of your reading plan. You really want to get the most out of God's word. Set aside enough time for you to read it meditatively, to read it slowly, to really unpack every single word that you were reading, and then give, you ta- give yourself enough time to just stop and let those words roll around in your head so that you really get inside of you and you know where it goes, you know how it applies, and it really comes alive in you because when it comes alive in you then everyone around you sees it alive and at work in your life it is the key when you understand that god speaks to you in those meditative moments it's the key to understanding why god calls us to meditate on his word oh oh i lost a question there i apparently didn't put it in um my second question that is supposed to be on the slides, but it's not. Um, which of those six keys stood out to you? Which of those six things where you're like, hmm, I've never thought about that, about God's word. I've never thought about that, how significant God speaking to me personally would impact that idea. It's all in the notes. Take some notes. Um, but I think we really need to understand all six of those. We really need to see them applied in our life and active and moving. And, and I'm going to close with this. I said it a couple times. It's not always been well received, but I, I'm starting to understand the importance of it. If you are not a journaler, if you don't take notes when you're reading through God's word, I really encourage you. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't even have to be anything formal, but I encourage you to pick up a notebook and a pen to have with you as you read through God's word. Because what happens is when we have, when we're going through God's word and we have those rhema experiences where God takes the word, makes it applicable, makes it come alive in our lives, we as human beings, I don't care how good your memory is, you will forget. And it's 
amazing how many times, and I do this off and on. I'm not very diligent. I'm trying to get better. It's amazing how I go back through my journal and all the notes that I've made, and I will read through the, my notes, and I'll read through the scripture, and I'm like, how did I get there? And then I remember that that was for that moment, for that time, and I'm reminded about how those words were significant to me and how they got me through whatever season they were going, I was going through or pushed me through the good times to make them even better. They are specific. They are time-sensitive. What, what has been said in that journal doesn't necessarily apply now, but it applied then, and that's all that matters because God, God has a fresh word for me every single day. Logos versus rhema. Logos being the general word, it's important. We need to know it. We need to be reading God's word. But more importantly, we need to create space for those rhema moments when God talks to you. Not to you generally, but you specifically. And gives you a word for exactly what you're going through, exactly what you need, exactly when you need it the most. I'm going to work. You can come on up. I'm going to close in prayer and invite you to bow with me. Heavenly Father, as I've said this morning, I'm so glad that I can, that we can have a relationship with you. I'm so glad that you are a God who speaks to us, who gives us fresh word, fresh revelation every day, that you are a God who guides us. You would guide our every step if we would humble ourselves and let you guide us. Father, I pray that we would seek for those moments when you speak, that you would breathe new life into our Bible reading and into our faith and into our meditating and that we would just be challenged that if we've not focused on these things, that we would step into them more and more. Father, stir us Stir us for your word. Stir us for your work, for your personal rhema. Stir us for our community. God, stir us on the greater things. Speak to us this week, even if we're not waiting for it. I pray, God, that we would hear your voice this week and that you would guide us in the greater things. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.